Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to another edition of Take It to the Bank. We've got a jam-packed show for you guys today. We have interviews with Cincy Jungle's Rebecca Tobek, and we have an interview with Behind the Steel Curtain's Brian Davis. Two great interviews to get you guys caught up on what's going on around the AFC North. We do have a Cleveland Browns reporter coming on next episode to talk to us about the Browns, Baker Mayfield, Hugh Jackson, all the all the drama that's going on with Hard Knocks. We will get to all that soon, but, but for this episode, we just focus purely on the Bengals and the Steelers. Um, so how you doing today, Vasily? I'm great. Very good. Training camp's wrapping up. Season's, season's almost here. Absolutely. And we recapped, if, if you guys missed it, last episode we recapped the Ravens' triumphant 33-7 win over the Los Angeles Rams in the first week of the preseason. And now we're kind of moving forward. You know, the Ravens had their last training camp practice today on Tuesday officially, I guess you could say. And then they're going to take the Wednesday off, and then they're going over to, to Indianapolis for that joint practice before their game with the Colts in the week, in week two of the preseason. And that's going to be a great contest to look for. It's going to be a great matchup. We should see the starters play a little bit more. We should kind of get a better idea of what's going on with the roster bubble. And the good news for the Ravens, and I don't want to jinx this, but is that they are relatively healthy at this point. A lot of guys are returning from practice. Only a couple, only a handful of guys were not practicing today. So that's a good news for Baltimore that they are avoiding the injury bug as of right now. First, we're going to talk about these position battle updates. Right tackle, and I'm going to let you tee off on this because I know you're pretty pissed over there, and I'm going to let you kind of go. Right tackle, what do you think? I mean, it's Orlando Brown Jr.'s job, right? It should be. It certainly should be. Reports from the castle are indicating that James Hurst is now lining up as the first-team right tackle now that Marshall Yonda is back in the fold as the right guard express when Yonda's on the field for 11 versus 11 reps. And I believe it's a highly questionable decision. Zeus, he's taken every first-team snap all throughout OTAs, training camp, and the two preseason games. He's played great in those two games. Not to mention, uh, Pro Football Focus placed him on their all-preseason week one team after he allowed zero pressure pressures the entire game versus the Rams. And friend of the podcast, Ken McCusick, also graded his effort against Los Angeles as an A. Um, and then Hurst, on the other hand, he's never fared well at tackle. Guard is clearly his best position. It's one thing to make the rookie earn it, but they're essentially demoting him at this point, and it, it's really a big-time head-scratcher for me. I certainly agree. I've been getting reports. I've been talking to people about this, and they told me that it's kind of Zeus Jr. is getting some snaps there next to Yonda. You know, Yonda came back, which kind of forced the real competition to begin with Hurst. 
But based on what I've heard, the Ravens are giving Zeus Jr. a chance to win, but they're giving the the slight edge to the veteran at this point in James Hurst. And I don't agree with it. I didn't like that John Harbaugh said that Hurst has the inside track to win the job. You drafted Zeus Jr. for a reason. You drafted Zeus Jr. because you didn't feel comfortable with Alex Lewis, James Hurst, or any other tackle on the roster to play right tackle. So this is absolutely asinine that they're making this guy work for it, considering he's balled out in two preseason games. I got the film to prove it, people. You can go check those film studies. Zeus Jr. has done everything and more to earn that job. It's just despicable. I think at the end, he's going to win the job. I just think they're kind of putting him through the ringer a little bit and making him earn it more, which, like you noted, makes no sense. Well, you know, our, our esteemed colleague, Kyle Andrews, he's been out there at training camp for every single practice, and he has noted that Zeus is getting a little bit of work with Yonda and the ones, but at, le- at a minimum, it should be a 50-50 split. And really, no, he's earned... I don't know what else more the guy can do. The Ravens, a lot of times, they favor these hardworking veterans uh, to the detriment, and they keep the younger guys on the bench. It's just definitely beneficial to have Zeus, if he's eventually going to take that job, get as many reps with Yonda as he can now so they can start forging that, that requisite chemistry that they're going to need in the regular season. So this is really probably the biggest uh, question they've made in my mind so far this offseason. Yeah, and I just want to note again, because I feel like this always comes up whenever we talk about James Hurst, his contract does not force him or or automatically make him a starter. His contract, if you really look at it, was low-end starter money, high-end backup money. And that's what he is. He's a high-end luxury backup because he can play seemingly five positions on the offensive line. I know he hasn't had a lot of experience at center, but he said in this press conference, you know, I'd go out there and play center if they if they had they maybe you know I'd do it I would test out a couple snaps and that's the thing is he's a luxury backup he's a great backup because he can he can he's so versatile but he's not a great starter and if you are gonna have him be a starter he needs to be playing guard he's not athletic enough I don't think he's fast enough I don't think he's strong enough upon the outside you got to put him on the inside with, with some more support in that kind of phone booth because that's where he operates best you know and I want to move forward to the weak side linebacker competition I, I think that you you always mention this and I think that you're right. Well, you are right, but I think that it's interesting is that weak side linebacker, the position only plays about 40% of the time, correct? Yep, 40%, roughly. Roughly 40%, especially now it could be less this year with wing system if they run more nickel, dime packages, things like that. So really the weak side linebacker competition, everyone's talking about, oh, you can do a linebacker by committee. And I agree. I think you should do a linebacker by committee. But in reality, you really like should put maybe have Tony Jefferson play that hybrid nickel slash dime linebacker instead of having Kenny Young or Peanut out there. But I think at this point, if for the sake of the conversation and for the sake of the position battle, I think that that Kenny Young should win the job. I think Kenny Young he's shown a lot in run D during the preseason. He's he's certainly wowed me. We did our film review on him and in a previous episode, and we talked about how he's a great in coverage, but he struggles in. In run run the run block or run defense, and that's his issue. And he sh- at, th- at this point during the preseason, he's proven that he's good. I mean, he had that big fourth down tackle against the Bears. You know, I mean, he's he's slowly improved, and he's a key special team player as well. I mean, Peanut is great. Don't get me wrong. Peanut had a very underrated season last year, but Peanut I feel like hit his ceiling last year. That's like the best he's gonna be. And why not have Kenny? Why not put Kenny Young in there? Who one is a rookie who has plenty has a much higher ceiling but he's so much better in pass coverage that it it makes sense considering that you couldn't guard a tight end last year i concur with you i really do i was questionable 
are dubious about Kenny Young as a starter originally after watching the game tape. But if there's one thing the Ravens coaching staff has proven is that they know how to coach up run defense. Uh, coordinator Martindale said on Monday that uh, both Peanut and Kenny are really neck and neck. It's a dead heat for the starting spot. And also worth noting on Monday's practice, Kenny Young stepped in front of a Joe Flacco pass, which was a pass, I believe, to Alex Collins, picked it off and took it to the house, which really displays his his prowess in pass coverage. And he's just a better athlete, better athlete than Peanut. And he's very good in pass coverage and getting more speed on the field and more pass coverage in the middle to help against those tight ends. And those running backs makes a lot of sense for the Ravens. And I, I'm, I'm also with you. I'm, I'm projecting that he's going to be the starter at this point. I certainly agree. And, and here's we're going to segue into our next segment is here's the thing. The Ravens have a 14 year streak of an undrafted free agent making the roster. Every year, I feel like people go out of their way to find the next guy because they want to be like, oh, I found them. I'm right. I did it too. I fell victim of it as well. I was a high on the, the Lance Turner train, and that, that 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 train never took off. It never left the station. So now I, I'm looking at some of these guys. I'm saying, who can make, who has a legitimate shot to make the roster? And at this point, you have to pick a running back, right? You have to pick a running back because Kenneth Dixon is with his injury concerns and what he's shown at this point. He his job is far from secure. So that third running back spot to me is wide open. And at this point, it's Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards is winning that battle. He's looked good in both preseason games. He's had, he's throwing together a lot of good practices. I know he had that one bad practice against the Rams on the Monday where he had two fumbles. But other than that, he's been really consistent. He's honestly surprised me with how quick and, and, and decisive and, and how great his vision is. When I watched his tape at Rutgers in Miami and stuff, I didn't see that from him. I mean, it was limited reps as well. But based on the preseason, I've seen a lot of improvement from him. I've seen great vision. He's very decisive. He hits the hole hard. He picks the right holes. But he's also patient which is something that, that's so critical for a running back. And listen, he's a th- he's going to be the third running back if he makes the roster, so he won't get a ton of reps. But at this point, he's probably the favorite to make the roster out of the UDFAs. I think he has the best chance to make it as we stand currently here in the middle of August. I mean, there's still three more games to go. We'll see if any of these running backs do emerge as a guy that they want to carry on the roster. I'm going to stick by my prediction that I made, I believe, in the spring that this is the year that the 14-year streak is broken. No UDFA will make the team. I guess Janarian Grant's another guy that could possibly make it, but Tim Tim White has now returned to practice. He seems to be over that injury, and I think Grant may have uh, may have lost his best opportunity to, to, to show out in the last game against the Rams. Um, and here's a thought for you. I'm starting to come around to the idea that the Ravens may only carry two running backs into the regular season, or, or let me rephrase, maybe not into the regular season, but on that cutdown down on September 1st, they may clear out clear out, and just roll with Alex Collins and, and Buck Allen and then pick up, pick up somebody that's cast off from another team in those few days leading up to week one if they need them. Because if they're not going to be active on the active roster, then maybe it's, I mean, even if Edwards makes it, is he really going to be active week one? Who knows? So maybe that's another way to, uh, to squeeze in somebody else that you want to see on the roster a little bit longer. That's an interesting idea. I actually like that. Because you have so many roster spots at this point that are kind of locked in, and they're so deep all along the, all across the board that you really, every spot's going to be tight. And if you do that, that allows you to keep maybe a seventh receiver, maybe a fourth tight end with Max Williams. I'm not, I'm not really sure. And listen, I, I, I hate to keep bringing this up, 
but the Ravens haven't gotten hit hard by any injuries yet. There's been no significant injuries at, th- at this point, and if it keeps up, which would be great news, then the Ravens will have really tough decisions. But Marty Morningweg said this in his presser li- uh, yesterday. Someone asked him about the depth along the offense and cuts and things like that, and he said usually these things kind of have a way of working themselves out. And I, I, I agree with him. I mean, injuries are, are, are part of the game. I hate them. I hate to see it. It's something that I don't appreciate. I, I, it sucks, but they're a part of the game. And if you look at history in general, someone big is going to go down at some point in time before the season starts. And that's going to kind of change our outlook on the roster. But you look at this. Janarian Grant, I thought you made a great point. He had a golden opportunity against the Rams. He had pretty much every punt return. He had a couple kick returns, and he did absolutely nothing with it. Now, again, he didn't drop any balls. He didn't fumble the ball, but he didn't flash. He just had an okay performance, and he didn't stand out, and that's not going to help you make a roster when you're losing to Tim White on the battle. And, and he, he floundered an opportunity, and, and, and it really sucks to see because he's such a well-accomplished returner in college, uh, broke a couple records, was close breaking even more, but injuries kind of hurt his career at Rutgers, and now he's kind of on this roster bubble, and and he might be a practice squad candidate unless someone scoops him up. I concur with that. The thing about the running backs is running backs across the league are really dumb a dozen. You can find guys on the street, teams practice squads that can fill that role if you're, if you're in a pinch. I mean, look at what Alex Collins was able to do with the Ravens last year. He was, he was taught from uh, Seattle and didn't join the Ravens until week one. And it went on to be perhaps the team's offensive MVP. So I don't think you necessarily need to carry that third guy in. But please, Logan, you got to stop talking about injury. You said it twice now. The Ravens have been blessed. If you say it a third time, I'm, I'm worried that you're going to put the jinx on them. All right. All right. Thank you for being such a, such a supportive co-host. I do appreciate you as always. Um, thank you so much for threatening me on, on my own show. On our own show, excuse me. Um, so now we're going to cut to an interview with Cincy Jungle's Rebecca Toback. Rebecca, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great because my boy Alden Tate, and that's where we're going to start. I'm so excited for him. You know, when you were on the podcast last time at the NFL Draft, I said, watch out for Alden Tate. That's a steal in the seventh round. And he balled out. I know it's overreaction season. It's only week one of the preseason. He made a great touchdown catch. But how hype is it in Cincinnati for Tate? It is pretty hyped. I would say he is the new fan favorite of training camp. Um, He did catch a touchdown in the first preseason game, like you said. And it's not only been in the preseason games. It's been in every training camp practice. He basically catches anything that comes his way. And I think that the Bengals are really excited about it. Even Marvin Lewis, who, like, it is impossible to get Marvin Lewis to be excited about anything. And he is excited about Auden Tate and said people better start taking watch and that, um, you know, he's going to be someone to look out for. And he even was practicing with the first team offense on Saturday, which I feel like is a really good sign for him and uh, his future in Cincinnati. Wow. Marvin Lewis smiled. Whew. <laughs> put that put that in the record books. Um, are there any other takeaways? Like what, what else happened in the Bengals preseason game? Obviously they won. Surprisingly, the AFC North actually went 4-0 in the week one of the preseason, which is kind of irrelevant, but it's a meaningless fact. But what, what about the rest of the members of that 2018 draft class? How did, how did they do? One of the big things so far this offseason has been Billy Price having some issues snapping the ball. Um, he 
has not been doing great at that. But the first preseason game was issue free and, you know, there were no fumbles or anything of bad handled snaps. So that was good to see because it has been an issue in training camp. Um, He was the first round pick for the Bengals this year and he's going to be starting at center. So it's really important that they work all of that out. And I don't think there's been an issue with that for a week now, about a week and a half. So hopefully that issue is in the past, but it is going to be something to continue monitoring. Um, As far as the defensive rookies, because there are way more of them than offensive rookies, um, they honestly haven't been doing too great. I would say Sam Hubbard is probably the exception to that. He has been doing really well, the defensive end out of Ohio State. uh, And I don't think he's going to be starting, but he will definitely be playing um, and rotating in to start the year. So watching him um, do well is nice to see. But as far as guys like Um, the other third round pick Malik Jefferson linebacker out of Texas he has not been doing great I think his transition to the NFL has been going a little bit slowly Um, the two fifth round cornerbacks Darius Phillips and Devontae Harris also have been coming along very slowly so much so that the Bengals went out and signed a cornerback um, who actually used to be on the Steelers as a wide receiver CJ Goodwin he's fast I think they like his special teams ability and With those two rookies coming along slowly at the cornerback position, he actually could end up making the roster. And then Andrew Brown, the defensive lineman out of Virginia, has been injured for well over a week now, which is really not helping his chances of making the team either. So it's unfortunate, but a bunch of these rookies are coming along slower than expected. There's also Jesse Bates, the second round pick and a safety who's going to be playing a lot. And he's been doing decently too. Nothing too flashier to take notice of, but no mistakes um, and playing some good football. So he'll be a player to continue watching because he is expected to have a big role this year. Absolutely. And I did hear kind of switching gears a little bit. I did hear Vontez Perfect suffered an injury during Monday's practices. Is there any updates to that at this moment? There's really not any updates. He was seen on the sidelines right after the injury, icing his ankle foot area. It's unclear how serious it was. He sat there for a really long time before being carted in. So I think if it was serious, he would have been carted in immediately. So I think the hope is that maybe he like sprained it, bruised it, some kind of minor injury, but we really don't know anything beyond that. So the Bengals offensive line was pretty much one of the biggest question marks heading into training camp. Who was going to start? Are there any kind of developments of what's going on with that offensive line? Who's kind of emerging as the starters at this point? Right now, it's Bobby Hart, who is leading the competition to start at right tackle. He came over from the Giants um, this offseason. They cut him. They did not like him. He did not play well last year. Um, But the Bengals do have a new offensive line coach, and they're hoping that he can really whip Hart into shape and make him a starter. Um, The other options at right tackle would be Cedric Obwehi and Jake Fisher, who are both 2015 first and second round draft picks, who have been pretty miserable um, since arriving in Cincinnati. And so Hart is currently leading that competition, and we'll see if that remains the case. And then at right guard, it's Trey Hopkins right now who is starting. That also, though, is still an open competition. The other two guys with the potential to start there are Christian Westerman, who is a 2016 draft pick, and Alex Redman, who was an undrafted free agent in 2017. And that is still a work in progress. Hopkins definitely has the lead right now. I think fans think that Westerman should have the lead. He played at left guard and did really well. He was like the highest rated guy by PFF on the offensive line in the preseason game. So fans are very into that. They want to see Westerman get his chance. He's been sitting on the bench for three years now doing pretty much nothing. Um, So the hope is that he can rise to the challenge and that the Bengals will at least give him a chance to start and 
play with the first team offense. But right now it's Trey Hopkins who um, had that starting right guard job for most of last year for the Bengals. Good stuff. Good stuff. So are there any like I know it's hard for some of the Ravens fans to kind of keep up with all the Bengals news and notes. But is there any players right now that are kind of standing out and like maybe not household names, but kind of under the radar guys that could make an impact in the 2018 season that we might not know about? At wide receiver, there's a lot of guys who are really showing up. Um, so it's not only Auden Tate, who's really been impressing, but also Josh Malone, who is in his second year now as a fourth-round pick last year. And, I mean, I think the hope is really that John Ross shines and finally does what he was supposed to do when the Bengals drafted him in the first round last year. So he's definitely going to be someone to watch, more of a household name. But um, so he had zero catches in his rookie season. So there's only uh, room to go up from there. And I hope that Ross is uh, is someone to keep an eye on. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the Bengals just signed this offseason Preston Brown at linebacker. And with Vontas Burfick suspended for the first four games of the year, he's going to be a, a key figure on the team. And I think that someone who hopefully they can really make work because the Bengals have had a history now of signing guys to one-year deals at linebacker who have all done horribly with in their time with the Bengals. I would say that started with James Harrison. That was a failure. And then we had AJ Hawk. We had Kevin Minter. There was another guy mixed into that equation too. They're all, they've all come for like one season, didn't do well, and then move on to go somewhere else or retire. So I hope that Preston Brown kind of breaks that mold of linebackers who sign and fail and actually is someone who uh, the Bengals can rely on this year. Yeah, I want to stick with John Rawls for a second because that's, listen, Baltimore knows about first-round receivers that don't pan out. We know about a lot of receivers that don't pan out from the draft. John Rawls, you know, in that first preseason game, flashed a little bit. He had that one catch for 20 yards, and it's like, wow, this is the guy that they drafted him to be. But then he had that other play before that where he kind of slipped and then led to the interception, which was a pick six. What has he been doing at camp? Is he taking that next step forward, or is it still kind of much of the same? It's been very up and down. I would say that his camp started out super strong. He came out, he made amazing plays. He did exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He was beating out Drake Kirkpatrick very regularly in practice. And like, there were all these amazing highlights and everyone was like, yes, John Ross is here. This is going to be great. Um, and then as camp continued on, there started to be a lot of drops, a lot of mistakes that play in the preseason game, which was just out of control. I mean, he literally tripped over nothing. He just fell flat on his butt for no reason at all. Um, so, and he made Andy Dalton look bad as a result when it was a great throw, it was a perfect opportunity for him to make a play and he just fell. So, I mean, that can't continue. It, it can't be what he turns into. Um, so I think that there's a lot of pressure on him and he's actually come out and expressed how much pressure he felt was on him last year and how his year kind of just crumbled and his whole emotional well-being was really out of whack um so I think it is somewhat troubling to hear that he has that kind of mentality where he can get down on himself very quickly um but I think he needs to stay off social media and just keep working because he has the potential and he just can't fall on his ass for no reason <laughs> wow um, a little feisty. So I, my last question, I asked you this last time and you brushed it off and you ignored it, but I'm going to see if I can get you to do it again. Can I get a record prediction from you for the Bengals this year? Or is that just, is it too early? I feel like I actually have talked myself into being more optimistic at this point than I was after the draft. I will say nine and seven. Um, so I, I mean, I'm hopeful 
that they can be good and a winning team. On the flip side, nine and seven could be like the worst record imaginable because what if they don't make the playoffs and then they had a winning season so they don't fire Marvin Lewis again? But it's like the whole division's trapped in this mediocrity. Every other team except for the Steelers and I guess the Browns, really just the Ravens, the Bengals are trapped in this hole of mediocrity and they're not gonna fire their head coaches because they're they're going eight and eight, nine and seven, and they're right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean I am hopeful that, you know, nine and seven could be enough to get to the playoffs. I feel like the AFC is pretty blah. Like that definitely wouldn't do it for you in the NFC this year, I don't think. But I think in the AFC it's possible, so we'll see what happens. Awesome. Well, you guys can follow Rebecca Toback on Twitter at Rebecca with two C's, I might add, underscore Toback on Twitter. Uh, you can check out her work on Cincy Jungle and sometimes the SB Nation front page. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on. We do appreciate it. A lot of knowledge there. Yeah, thank you. Our boy Alden Tate. He's getting hyped up in Cincinnati. And I just want to say this is that not many people in Cincinnati thought that he had a legitimate shot to make the roster, but he's got a shot at this point to be a starter. I know there's Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, but Alden Tate, man, he had a great preseason game in week one, and, and if he continues to build off of this, he's having a great camp, he could find himself a role. That's a guy we, me and you were both really high on coming out of the draft. Yeah, you know, he's a huge target with great hands. They're going to have to uh, to look out for injuries with him. Uh, as a Florida State fan, uh, he I can, I can say uh, on the record, he struggled with injuries a great a great amount. He kind of has that injury prone label. But when he's on the field and when he's healthy, he could definitely make some plays at this level. All right. We got another reoccurring guest behind the steel curtains, Brian Davis. He didn't bring me a Paranti Bros sandwich, but we welcome him on anyway. Brian, what's going on, man? Hey, I will get you that sandwich. That's no problem. You just have to come to Pittsburgh or uh, at least Hagerstown, Maryland to get it. Yeah, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll, we'll see what, what goes on later in the season. Maybe you can just deliver it to me via FedEx, UPS, something like that. But we'll figure it out, man. We, we That's what we like to do here. But let's just get started. Let's get right into it. The Pittsburgh Steelers, like every team in the AFC North, won week one of the preseason. You know, AFC North actually went 4-0, which is kind of interesting. A lot of big storylines for Pittsburgh after that after that first preseason game. And I want to start with the rookies. I want to start with, with Mason Rudolph. What did you kind of see with from him as the guy who could be the next heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger in a couple of years? Well, you know what? I'm really not sure what I saw because I thought he looked good. But he was playing against guys that are going to be packing groceries in a few weeks. Um, this is a guy that I want to see play, up, play against first teams. Um, right now, if he's going to be the heir apparent, we want to see what he can do against guys that are going to be starting on Sundays. I'd rather see him struggle and grow in that situation than play against tomato cans right now. Um, from what I saw of him, he looked pretty good. I wish the Steelers would have would have just bypassed the field goal altogether and given this guy an opportunity to go for it on fourth and three, fourth and two. That's going to help him grow a whole lot better. But they brought out Chris Boswell, a Pro Bowl kicker, to go ahead and kick when they could have really tested this guy, and they did it. Absolutely. And what else did we see, kind of from Terrell Edmonds, Marcus Allen, some of the other guys in their draft in their draft class? That I and I'm going to be honest with you, you heard it. You were on our podcast. I was not a fan of their draft class to begin with. What did you kind of see from those guys? Yeah, you know what? I I remember that conversation, and I told you just uh, this is not a sexy draft class, but it's one that's going to really, really shine. And we're really seeing it already with a guy like James Washington who caught balls from Mason Rudolph way back at Oklahoma State. This guy is going up and battling for balls already. He's a combat pass catcher, 
just like Juju Smith-Schuster proved in that first preseason game as well, that uh, really he didn't lose a step at all. But this guy is going up for passes. He has great jumping ability. And as right now coming in as the third man, the third receiver on that team, that unit's going to be a lot stronger with number two pick James Washington being in there. As far as Terrell Edmonds, he was there. Not bad, not good. He was just there. Um, really wasn't tested too much. They're looking at moving he and Marcus Allen up into that uh, inside linebacker position as sort of a hybrid role, trying to get more out of them because that Ryan Shazier loss is really uh, it's glaring. And they have not really filled in the, that gap for uh, Shazier. So they're looking at moving him more. I figure you will see more from uh, Edmonds coming up in, uh, in Green Bay on Thursday night. But as far as camp goes, they're loving what he's doing in camp. He's caught, he's intercepted Ben Roethlisberger a few times in camp, and uh, they're really glad to have him on the team. They really think that he's going to push a guy like Morgan Burnett, who just came in, and even Sean Davis as well, push him, push those guys for playing time. So I'm excited about Terrell Edmonds still. I think he might surprise you. Marcus Allen's another guy that I'm excited about, but really didn't see much of him at all on Thursday night. So I'm not sure um, what to expect out of him. Um, haven't heard as much about him as Edmonds, but I figure this guy's going to make the team. Just uh, might have a little more of an uphill battle. My last question before I throw it to my co-host here. Deflate gate round two? What happened there? <laughs> a whole bunch of uh, hooey, if you ask me. So an infamous sideline reporter, an infamous uh, – uh, broadcaster in Philadelphia is a guy named Howard Eskin, and when I uh, when I wrote this the article that there was nothing to this, um, everybody came out from Philly and just blasted the hell out of this guy. So apparently this guy is uh, a blabbermouth. He made something out of nothing. He was on the sideline. He claimed that after a, after a Mason Rudolph incompletion, that the ball boy picked up the ball and it was smushed like a marshmallow. So the NFL right away sent it back to Wilson, deemed it a defective ball. Um, well, well, this guy's trying. Eskin's trying to make headlines by uh, calling it Deflategate 2, making a big deal out of it, wondering aloud why Mason Rudolph is cheating, um, wondering if he has small hands for the reason he's cheating. When if you're going to cheat, you're not going to cheat in your debut in a preseason game. But it's been completely dismissed by the NFL, so it's uh, already buried. But um, unless you're in uh, New England, Cincinnati, and even in Baltimore, you're probably not going to forget this. Thanks for joining us again. We really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to see your take, get your take on the Steelers' pass defense. I know uh, that both of the outside linebackers are dinged up, starting with uh, with injuries right now. Do they, are you expecting those to be long-term injuries? Now, you know, um, T.J. Watt, really not. they really don't expect him to be out too long. Bud Dupree, he has a concussion, and they're just working him back slowly. But they're taking this time right now to get some guys some playing time and really see what they have because the depth of the outside linebacker uh, position is not as good as it has been in past years. However, they have some young guys that they're really excited about. One guy, I'm calling him James Harrison Jr. already, and the, the press is as well. He's a guy 
named Ola Adeni. He's uh, from Toledo, Toledo. He's the youngest player right now on the Steelers, possibly the league, like Juju Smith-Schuster was last year. He's only 20 years old, and uh, he came out early. He seems like a guy that could really make an impact, but the reason he wasn't drafted is because he's just a small, compact guy, just like Harrison. He's only about six foot. Um, he goes about 230, so he looks like a fire hydrant. But the guy has a great slap move, a good instinct to get to the, the quarterback. His, he had a sack the other night and forced a fumble. He looked really good. And so they're, they're thinking that this is a guy that could uh, quietly make the team and make some impact down the road. Now, on the other side, they have another, they have another player named Keon Adams, who was a seventh-round pick last year out of Western Michigan. Adams missed all of last year. But they're really saying that this guy even has a leg up on Adenyi, and he he was the guy that uh, picked up the ball that Adenyi forced out, uh, picked up the fumble. But he also has some great moves to the quarterback. Really think these are the two guys that are going to uh, compete for that backup job. Anthony Ciccolo is still there. Um, he's been there three or four years now. So they feel like um, he's going to make the team. But a guy like Farrington Huguenin, he is a solid rookie, uh, solid second-year man that was on the practice squad last year. They like him a lot, but it doesn't have great power off of the offensive tackle to get to the quarterback, so he might be the odd man out in this situation. It depends how many they keep, whether they keep four or five. Typically, they keep four, but Adeni is special enough that I don't think they're going to want to lose this guy. So as far as Watt and Dupree go, those guys are ready for the season. They don't feel like they they really need to uh, do too much in the preseason, except for the fact that they switched sides. So uh, now while Watt is on the left side, Dupree's on the right, and they're expecting more out of both of them this year. So I don't think uh, they're going to be held back because of these injuries. Um, Just everybody gets dinged up this time of year. And uh, the cornerbacks starting – with Joe Hayden and Artie Burns, how are they faring in practice against the Steelers' uh, elite number one wide receivers, Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster? Well, you know, Antonio Brown right now came out just about a day or two ago and said that Artie Burns is he's improving every single day. And because uh, they two years ago when he was a rookie, they just threw him up against Antonio Brown, and Brown just AB just schooled him. But against each other at practice all the time. A.B. likes what he sees, and uh, recently uh, um, number 84 has uh, must have appointed himself uh, general manager because he's been trying to recruit guys like Des Bryant. I guess he, he thinks he knows the personnel end as well, and I, I just joke about that because we love A.B. here. But, you know, he really likes what he's seeing going up against Artie Burns, saying that he's more of a, a challenge to him now. But, you know, year three is going to be really big for Artie. He's hit or miss some games. I mean, feast or famine with this guy. You know, he can go and he can make a dumb play. He doesn't really get burnt as much as much as getting getting the key pass interference penalty um, at a, a crucial time of the game. So that's something that he's trying to clean up on. But he's a combat cornerback as well. I talked about the combat receivers. This guy is very combative as a cornerback. Does he gets his hands dirty? Sometimes he gets flagged for it, but they say that he's improving in camp, 
and like him so much better. As far as Joe Hayden goes, there's really not much to worry about there. The biggest worry with Joe Hayden is injuries. He really isn't declining. He played very well when he was healthy last year. Towards the end, he still didn't struggle as much. His side was pretty strong. It was the other side that wasn't as strong. But uh, they're pretty confident that that that, uh, pass defense is getting better. Where they're worried about the pass defense is the shortstop across the middle. I know Baltimore has those two new tight ends, and if something doesn't change with those inside linebackers, Pittsburgh's going to get shredded across the middle. That is the biggest glaring weakness on this team. And my, my, I have two final questions for you. Um, Damone Patterson, can you kind of talk to me about this guy? Because he's showing up everywhere, man. I mean, he's the UDFA that everyone's talking about out of Pittsburgh. I know I've been talking to a couple of guys about the Steelers and what I'm thinking and what, the, what they're thinking about this season. And that's, that's all they've been talking about to me. Does he have a legitimate shot to make this roster? He has a legitimate shot to make this roster. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to see a veteran lose their job, and I think it's going to be Eli Rogers. I don't even think Eli is uh, healthy enough to really compete this year because he uh, had that uh, ACL during the Jacksonville playoff game. But he is back, but I don't know if he's lost a little something. You know the three that are going to make the team right off the bat, A.B., Juju, and rookie James Washington. Uh, The wild cards here are Justin Hunter. You know, the guy's 6'3". Um, he's a former second-round draft pick out of Tennessee. He's been around. Um, Ben's starting to become more comfortable with him. Um, so there's a possibility that he should make the team as the fourth. Then here's where it gets a little cloudy. You have five and sometimes six. And there's a thought that they're going to keep six. So for Patterson, what he needs to do is really show up on special teams. Because the guy at number five right now, is Darius Hayward Bay, still the fastest guy on the team. He was measured at about 21 miles per hour last year. Um, I was just hearing that again on the radio this morning. Still the fastest guy, still takes pride on that. He does all the dirty work on special teams, and he's the guy that comes in when somebody's injured. So he's a valuable guy to have, and they love his veteran presence as well. However, if Patterson could really show up on special teams in the next couple of weeks, then he's going to have a shot. He made a beautiful touchdown catch from Josh Dobbs in the uh, second quarter against Philadelphia the other night. That was uh, he, Only he could go up and grab it. It was in the back of the end zone, had the footwork down. It was perfect, and he's really something special. They're not going to be able to stash this guy on a practice squad. So if they don't keep him, they're going to lose this guy. So I think they're going to do everything they can to go ahead and find a spot for Damone Patterson. Absolutely. And my final question, I got Rebecca Toback from Cincy Jungle to, to answer this question for me. Can I get a record prediction for the Steelers? I know I asked you last time you were on right after the draft. You didn't. You kind of shrugged it off and you told me no. Can I get one now? Uh, what is that, a record prediction, did you say? Yes, sir. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, go 11-5. And, wow. and uh, that's probably a departure, but a lot of people are, are being optimistic with 12-4, and four, but until this team can prove to me that they can beat bad teams as well as good teams, sometimes they play down to their competition. We've seen that over the years where they lose a stinker that they have no business losing whatsoever. And this is something that has plagued them during the Mike Tomlin era. Now, I'm not, I am not a Mike Tomlin basher at all. In fact, I'm a Mike Tomlin apologist and a fan of Mike Tomlin. 
but it seems like sometimes that these guys, they look past teams, and they look past Jacksonville in the playoffs, and that was something that they really did that they've really got to pick up on. But I think this team is going to go ahead and go 11-5. and I made uh, – I did an article right at the beginning of training camp where I uh, went game by game. I actually had them – I took a lot of heat for this. I had them losing the opener at Cleveland just because I could see that happening. However, if that happens, that won't be the worst thing for this team. That's the kind of thing that will go ahead and completely jolt this team into a long streak. So I'm looking at 11-5. and five. I don't think any worse than that possibly a little better all right well brian thank you so much for coming on man we do appreciate it we'll have you on one more time before the season thank you so much again man you can find brian's work at behind the steel curtain definitely a, a great writer at that i've read some of his articles limited typos didn't haven't found the typo in one of his articles just yet i'll, I'll be looking out for one <laughs> i think that is a challenge all right thank you so much man we do appreciate it all right guys thank you what an interesting interview from Brian. You know, never, never a guy who mentions his words. A lot, a lot to break down there. But I thought it was interesting what he was talking about with Damone Patterson. You know, kind of an undrafted guy. Not many people thought he had a chance to make the roster, but he's been taking the Steelers by storm at this point. I mean, you go anywhere on Pittsburgh site, you go to Pittsburgh, go anywhere. That's all they're talking about. This guy. He's definitely created some buzz. We're gonna have to ask Brian about. Le'Veon Bell, next time we, we missed that question when we get him before this regular season because I want to know, uh, is he going to show up for week one? Is he going to be effective week one? And is this his last year with the Steelers? I can answer those questions for you. He'll be there week one. He's not going to be. He's going to do the same thing he did last year where he's going to have a slow start to the year and he's not going to be with the Steelers next year. Boom. There you go. Logan Levy answers your questions. Um, the last segment that we are going to do is our film breakdown. We've kind of talked about this. We've done this. We went reverse order. We started from the seventh round. We're working our way up. We've been on day two. Now we're with Orlando Brown Jr., the 83rd overall pick. And obviously, great preseason performer thus far. Like we talked about earlier, should be a starter week one. Incredible guy. Got some history and tradition with the Ravens, with his father. It was such an interesting story with him because, you know, we're talking about a guy that was projected to go within the top 20 picks Get goes to the combine has hist- one of the historically worst combines of all time, you know, and that just plummeted his stock. And the Ravens might have gotten the g- biggest steal of the draft at selecting him 83rd overall because he's a a talented player. And for an offensive lineman, he produced well at Oklahoma. Didn't allow a lot of sacks. Didn't allow many pressures. Didn't do any of that. And he was he kept Baker Mayfield upright. And now he's turning in to a, a favorite among Baltimore for what he can provide. Yeah, I think that his his disastrous combine benefited the Ravens in a lot of ways where they can get a first-round talent in the third round. He's a mountain of a man, 6'8", 350 pounds, 35-inch arms. Uh, and that combine, I mean, it definitely brought his stock down. His 40-yard his time was almost six seconds. I mean, it was almost comical watching watching him. He looked like a panda bear out there. Six seconds. He His vertical jump was below 20 inches. Really, the most disappointing number he produced was, was 14 bench press reps. You'd like to see better numbers than that. But, but his play on the field definitely outweighs his testing measurables, especially for, at that position. Um, he just racked up the accolade in Oklahoma. Freshman All-American honor in 2015. He started 13 games at left tackle as a freshman for the Sooners. 
He's an All-American and the Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year. Both of those two years as a sophomore and a junior. And he looks he looks ready to compete. And I think the Raven, you said it well, he got a steal here. Well, it's interesting because he gets a lot of Jonathan Ogden comparisons. What do you think about that? Uh, I definitely think nimble as Ogden. Ogden had the height, but Ogden, I mean, he looks like a ballerina out there compared to Brown. Brown's more your, your mauler. A co-comp I think for him was uh, Marcus Gilbert of the Steelers. I think that's probably what they're looking at. But uh, but he has a lot of strengths on tape. You want, you want to get into what you saw on tape, Tim? Absolutely. So um, first I'll talk about what I saw from him in the preseason, um, the first two games. Uh, if you don't know, you can check out my film pieces. Uh, I've released three so far, one on each preseason game, and then I break it down to offense and defense. The defense will be coming out on third on. Wednesday, so definitely look out for that. But you can check out Orlando Brown's work in against the Rams uh, on Baltimore Beatdown's website. Um, so what I saw from him is his kick step at times is inconsistent, and the biggest thing for him because he's not an athletic guy, and that's something you have to remember is he, since he's not very athletic, he's not a dancing bear, but he's massive. Is that the that what he has to focus on is being in the right position, right? So position and leverage. That's what Joe D always tells him about. I, when I, every practice I've been to, Joe D always I hear him screaming leverage. Positioning, leverage, positioning, you know, and that's what he's got to do because he's not athletic, you know, and, and he can get sometimes beaten by the speed rush because he's not athletic. And these guys, these defensive linemen are, and defensive ends and outside linebackers, whatever, red rushers are so much faster than him that they can just fly right by him. So he's got to work on countering that by being in great position all the time. So his kick step is inconsistent sometimes, but he's got to work on when his first kick step, and I'm doing this as I'm standing up, so I, it's not going to sound good for radio, but in my mind it sounds good. It's his first step has to create an angle where his where his uh, outside foot has to go back, right? And then so that puts him in position to get in a good spot to kind of cut off the angle. And then what he really has to work on, and I, he showed it better at this point uh, in the preseason, but he's got to get better at his hand placement because at times he gets he gets beaten by those club moves, the swipe moves. I haven't seen many rip moves get by him yet. He's pretty good and pretty strong and able to kind of defend those. But the quick club or the or the swipe move always get seems to get him sometimes because he's he's unable to get his hands out there fast enough. So he's got to work on his hand positioning in terms of getting underneath the armpits and pushing the guys back. But he's shown a good ability to stop the bull rush. You're not going to bull rush him. That, it's just that simple. There were several times in both preseason games where defenders tried to bull rush him, and he just doesn't move back because what he does is he's able to sink his hips and create more leverage and push up with into the armpits and push the guy back and stop his momentum. And that is technique. That is technically sound. That is exactly what you want to teach. And he's not a guy that's known as a technician uh, coming out of Oklahoma, but he's shown great technique in terms of that. There's a lot of the inside-out technique as well. There was a play against the Rams that I want to point out and so the Ra the Rams they sent a they sent a blitz uh, they sent five guys they sent a, and they sent six I think and they had a delayed defensive back coming in Orlando Brown helped double team with James Hurst to kind of get him out there and then he goes and quickly identifies the blitzers coming from the right side so he comes back out and completely halts this defensive back and then he gives him one extra push while he's on the ground for good measure so. I, all I got to say is I love his attitude. I love his ferociousness. And that's something that you need to see from the offensive line because, listen, they need to have a mean streak in them. And Orlando Brown, 
I don't understand it. I don't like it, and I hate when people say it. But they claim that he's he doesn't care enough because of his combine performance, and he didn't train hard enough. That is such malarkey to me, and that's what really pisses me off is when people try to attack the character of these young men. They try to attack the work ethic of these young men when they know nothing about them. From everything I've seen, and I'm not as close as Orlando with Orlando Brown Jr. as some other people are, but everything I've seen from him and from what I've heard from him at the press conferences and things like that. He gives a crap about this game, and he wants to be the greatest he can be. And John Harbaugh said every single day he improves. And that's just not coach speak. That's Orlando Brown going out there and trying to build the legacy for himself because this means a lot to him to be drafted by by his dad's team, wear his dad's number, and come out and play for the Ravens. This is, this is something special for him, and I've seen a lot of improvement from him thus far. Great analysis. Uh, the strength I saw on tape, I mean, his massive frame alone allows him to stonewall and engulf pass rushers. And to your point on the bull rush, pro football focus tracked every snap in college, and he did not allow a bull rush pressure the entire season last year. And as you said, he finishes his run blocks with a nasty field temperament. He can really ragdoll defenders when he gets his hands on them and he's using that proper leverage. Crushes linebackers on the ball. And he's not, definitely not fast on his feet, but he is effective when pulling. Um, and I thought his kick, kick slide was pretty solid. He gets pretty wide with it off the snap. And he knows how to divert pass around the quarterback, kind of just, you know, shepherding them or chaperoning them around the quarterback to preserve the pocket. Uh, his his heavy feet uh, means he can be beaten to, to the outside. He definitely had some problems with the thickness of Ohio State's Nick Bosa last season. And his hand placement, as you mentioned, definitely needs can be refined. He also benefited from a lot of combo blocks in college, which he may not have the same luxury at the pro level. And work on his bounce, he could definitely do that, staying low and definitely adding strength to hold up at the level. And lastly, he does get a little bit grabby, as you said on the move, when he's kind of facing – uh, up the field, and the defender is parallel to the, him. He definitely gets a little bit grabby with his hands, which could definitely result in some holding penalties. But his long-term outlook, I think he has the most upside of any rookie the Ravens drafted in this last class. When you combine his rebel blocking from college with his sheer size and the fact that he's still reshaping his body, he's actually made a lot of progress in that department recently, um, and, and now improving his technique under the tutelage of Joe D, he has all the makings of a third-round, absolute third-round steal. I'm not sure he's ever going to develop into a truly elite right tackle, like Elaine Johnson or someone of that caliber, but he should be on par with some of the best right tackles in the game, like a Marcus Gilbert, as I mentioned, or Jack Conklin. And I predict that he will live up to his father's legacy as a dependable long-term starter, maybe 10, 12-year starter in the NFL. As for this upcoming season, I think he's probably the second most talented, not probably, definitely the second most talented uh, tackle on the Ravens roster right now, and he should be starting immediately. He's definitely going to need some help against the top pass rushers, but who doesn't? I mean, look at the Ravens' right tackles over the years, Michael Orr, Austin Howard, Demolay when he was at right tackle. Um they all need help. They need a chip block. And that when you're, I mean, almost 90% of the right tackles in the league are going to need a little bit of assistance going against Bill Mack or Von Miller. Um, but I do believe, I see no reason why he, along with Ronnie Stanley, 
cannot provide the Ravens with the best hair, the best pair of bookend tackles in the John Hall Harbaugh Absolutely. Era. And the other thing I want to mention is that I know most people, maybe to the novice fan, they think that, oh, just being an offensive line is so easy to just come in and play because you just block. But the Ravens are a little bit of a different story because in the, their running schemes are so complex and they change from play to play, game to game, drive to drive, etc. Because they run so many different uh, schemes within that, that that it, it is hard for someone to a newcomer, a rookie, to come in and try to pick it up. And I think that he's done well with it. I mean, think about it. the Ravens run a lot of power schemes. They run zones. They run inside outs. They run traps. They run split zones, tight wide, etc. Anything you can think of. Greg Roman has diversified their running game, so it's pretty much different on, on almost every on almost every drive. You know, and that and not a lot of teams do that to the level that the Ravens do that. And I thought that Brown Jr. has picked it up immense, uh, uh, incredibly where, you know, there's a lot of times where he's getting to the second level, which is something that we didn't see a ton of at Oklahoma, but he got into the second level a couple of times in the first two preseason games. Great double team blocks, getting up field, which is something you want to see from him. I mean, the on inside zones, he's been a force. He's been sealing off his side when he's not on the play side. When he is on the play side, he's been getting up field, second level, and those are things that you want to look for when you're, when you're trying to evaluate Orlando Brown Jr. and what impact he can possibly make this year and I I agree with you I think I think I don't think it's I'm actually gonna take it one step further I think he is going to be by the end of the season the second best offensive lineman on their team it's gonna be yonder than him call me call me a Stanley hater call me what you will I call it like I see it Ronnie Stanley to me and I don't want to get off on this whole rant but Ronnie Stanley to me has underperformed a little bit. I know he's a fan favorite. I know that. But the thing is, when you look at where he was drafted and what he has done, he's underperformed. Seriously. I mean, this is a guy that was the sixth overall pick in a draft. When you're drafting in the top six, top 10 even, you better get a stud. You better get a franchise player. You better get an impact player. You better get a player that's going to be great in the top 10, at least in his position. How many times has Stanley been ranked in the top 10 in his position? How many times? So, Zero. To be, listen, he is an average to above average tackle in the NFL right now. He's average to above average, which is fine. Like He's serviceable, but to me, I think Orlando Brown Jr., I disagree with you. I think he can be a top 10 tackle in the league. I think he can develop into that because his size is, is kind of rare. But but his his IQ is so high that it kind of makes up for his lack of athletic ability. He's just such a big guy that if he can work on countering the speed rush, which I just laid out to you two minutes ago how to do it. He and and listen, I'm no offensive line guru. Then you know Joe D's telling him about that, and he can counter that speed rush. I'm not sure how you're going to get by him because the rip moves seemingly don't work. He's got to work on the quick the quick clubs, the quick swipe swipe moves, and but you're not going to bull rush him, you know. And the speed rush is like their, their best chance against him. So if he can work on countering the speed rush, it's over. Uh, I can't disagree with your take on Stanley. He has underperformed his, his draft position. Just to put a button on Orlando Brown, that's a very astute point you made about the complexity of the Ravens' run schemes and run fits. Um, and also mention, worth mentioning, Brown played left tackle at Oklahoma. Now he's transitioning to right tackle. And I really don't know what more – you want to see from the guy. He's he's been fantastic. Probably maybe the number one most positive story of this is camp. the thing that I want to. This is our actual last segment. I kind of got called out on this, and I kind of engaged in some debate about this. And I, I want to bring it to you to see if you agree with me or not. 
be, and I don't think you agree with me, but is there any chance that the Ravens are going to have to find a way to IR or stash one of these rookie wide receivers? I know you're in the camp that they are, but unless one of them suffers an injury, I don't know how you're not keeping both of them. Listen, I get that they've struggled in the preseason. I understand that. But when you look at the tape, and I wish I had access to all 22 to kind of look at it more, I think that you have to realize, one, that they're not getting a lot of opportunities. But Jaleel Scott, first off, created some separation. If Lamar Jackson threw that deep ball better, he has a touchdown. He, he, he got open in the end zone. Lamar Jackson kind of threw, threw an inaccurate pass. And then, and then in the end of the second quarter, Lamar Jackson threw a pass that wasn't even close to Jaleel Scott when he was open on like a, kind of an out route to kind of pick up the first down and make that field goal a little bit shorter. And then Jordan Lasley, I think that he it, – it's weird because at training camp, he's looked very good some days. Other days, he hasn't. But in training camp, he's looked pretty good, and then it just hasn't translated at this point to the preseason. You know, he had the drop. He had the really bad drop against the Rams. But I, I just don't see, unless one of them gets hurt again, I don't know how you how you don't keep them. I'd be surprised if at least one of them wasn't stashed on IR. At this point of the, of the season, when we're starting to look at the roster, you have to not only look at who's the 53, but you have to look at who's the 45 that are active on game day. And I don't think either of them really bring much to the table on game day. They're not going to play above the big four, Crabtree, Sneed, Brown, and uh, and Chris Moore scoop and score. Uh, I think Tim White brings more to the table as both a receiver and a returner, obviously. And Perryman, you know, you say what you want about Perryman. He still has potential to become a capable, reliable, explosive, dynamic player in this league. He has more potential, more upside still than either of the two rookies in my mind. And it's the same argument I think can be made about RG3 and Lamar Jackson. Again, maybe it makes sense to roster three but, but because Jackson's still learning. But if, if Griffin's going to be a weekly inactive, what's the point of carrying him? You know, if you need him in an emergency and, and you can't play him because he's inactive, how's that really benefiting you? Jackson's going to be on the field in some uh, some trick plays and some gadget packages at a minimum. So I I, I think that, uh, I don't know, I, I guess we're going to have to see how Lasley and Scott progress through these last three games the Ravens have. They should probably have a lot more opportunity, but, uh, but the, in my mind they need to show more to, to prevent themselves from, from developing a phantom injury and, and spending the year on IR and maybe coming back to camp next year trying to have a more hold, consistent show. Hold, hold, hold it. Hold it. I was going to end it on that, but I can't. Did, did you just say that Tim White has more of an upside as a receiver than Jaleel Scott and Jordan Lasley? Not necessarily upside, but immediate impact right now. Yes, from uh, from what he can do out of the slot, and he can, I think he can create better separation, and he has better hands than both of them right now. So no upside, no, but but day one, week one impact, yes. All right, that is it for our show. I don't have anything else to say after that because what has Tim White done? Like I had him in my fifty-three man roster projection, I had him making it, but what has this guy done? He caught a touchdown last year preseason, and neither Lasley or Scott. Oh, oh, so now pre. Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot that one meaningless touchdown in a preseason game means he's going to be effective. What has the rookies done? I'm not saying that they're. I just think that listen, Jaleel Scott. You can use him. I don't care what he's shown you at this point. He is a massive human being. 
once they get inside the 20, throw him in there with him and Crabtree on the other side, or you can wherever, put anywhere you want, Marty, and just throw a jump ball to, to Jaleel Scott, and I, I guarantee you five or six times out of ten, if not more, he's coming up with that ball. What is he going to get? Is he going to be active? Why not? I think they're more likely to activate a tight end like an Andrews and let him be that red zone okay, guy. Okay, but you have so, you have him and agree to this. But you have him, Andrews, and why not have all three? Be it be a, a red zone powerhouse. You only have forty five spots on the active game day roster. So yeah, you have, who, okay, who, you have, you have, you have forty six spots, but they're going to carry seven D lines. So. Usually one of those defensive linemen is probably going to be inactive. Last year, they usually didn't activate or have all five outside linebackers active. Tim Williams was inactive for eight games. So I don't know. I think that you could you could find a spot for him at this point. But we're going to go down the rabbit hole on this. We're going to continue this conversation, this debate on our next episode. Like I mentioned before at the beginning, we have a Browns reporter coming on. We will talk Todd Haley, Hugh Jackson, Baker Mayfield and all that. We're, our next episode, we're going we're gonna to continue with our schedule preview. We're going to talk about the Week 12 matchup with the Oakland Raiders. John Gruden's Oakland Raiders. Um, we will also continue with our AFC North rank uh, the rankings of the position groups. We will talk about the defense, the edge rusher position. And it's a little bit crazy because half the teams are on 3-4, the other half are on a 4-3. We've, we figured out a system to kind of make it uh, value it uh, equally. So we're going to work on that. And we've got a ton of stuff coming in. And the last thing I want to say before we end it is we have, I'd like to make a program note. We have hired uh, a producer. So there's a third member now of our team, our full-time member of our team, Mr. Kevin Harris. Uh, He's the guy who's doing all the production stuff. So if it sounds like crap or anything messes up, blame Kevin, not me. But uh, we appreciate Kevin for all the work that he does and he's going to do in the future. And we're going to build something special with him. So we give a shout out to Kevin and everybody else. With that, we're out. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts check it out today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you your budget your life your style and if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.